others. Hi, Rob. So thank you so much for joining me on uh, my podcast, Antonia K. Moore. Um, and my podcast is generally about um, music business and giving advice and tips and everything to musicians. And I'd love to dig into that with you a little bit later. But um, yeah, so welcome. Um, so Rob, right, I suppose I wrote down a few little questions here and stuff to ask you. But um, so you are a Brit Britpop authority, according to Alan McGee, and he's quoted on your website as saying, Rob is an authority on Oasis, Britpop, and memorabilia. That's pretty impressive coming from Alan McGee. <laughs> How did you get to that status? Tell us your journey. Um, well, I've always loved music, yeah. and uh, I wanted to be in a band, but I never kind of really got there. Same here. Um, but my, <laughs> pardon? Same here. Yeah, well, you know, still time yet, though, isn't it? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Real time. So um, I'd started collecting, uh, I'd always collected like music memorabilia, but mainly from the 60s. So like old film posters and like Beatles memorabilia, like their autographs and uh, kind of things, personal items, like a camera that John Lennon had used or sort of like clothes that they'd worn on stage or like guitars people had used, that kind of stuff. And um I realised actually that that wasn't my era. My era was the 90s and really I should be more looking at dealing with that kind of memorabilia because nobody was, was doing it. And it's very difficult, isn't it? If you have a guitar that was, say, used by Paul McCartney to, to get Paul McCartney on the phone and say, did you use this Hoffner bass guitar? Where it's a little bit easier to get in touch with people from the 90s. So I'd set up the Britpop store, which was just a little standalone website uh, selling just basic kind of like tour programs, cons you know, that kind of stuff, basic posters, nothing really high end, just mm -hmm. more Britpop, Oasis Blur, pulp related. And then mm -hmm. after about um, two or three months, um, I got a message on Twitter from Alan McGee and he said, ring me. And uh, he said, uh, you're either a Beep. Genius, uh -huh. <laughs> or, or, or you're totally crazy. Mm. He said, uh, "Come down to my house in Wales. Um, I've got some stuff that I don't want anymore, and I'd like to raise it, raise some money for some charities." Okay. So I sold some uh, like gold discs and different things that have been used around tours and uh, just things that he'd been given over the years for musicians and. Uh, it was quite successful actually i've never really done this before for somebody well known them because i've built up a good kind of um group of collectors that kept things quiet under the radar so there's some people that would buy things and they would put photographs of it on instagram or twitter or facebook where a lot of these collectors like to keep things a bit quiet what they had and this worked out quite well actually um uh, Bonehead came along, I sold something for him, and then it was Steve White, who was in the Style Council, and of course, his brother was Alan White, who was the drummer for Oasis for like 10 years, mm -hmm. so I sold some stuff for him, and then it just kept, then it started to go to like other groups, like people that were in Ocean Colour Scene, um, my mind's kind of gone blank now, but there was, and then like photographers that worked on the albums, and then... I was starting to handle and sell quite a lot of really unique items and I put something up for sale and a producer 
um, or a researcher for a, a TV show on um, history. Mm. It was history, uh, Porn Stars UK. It was a yes. spin-off of Porn Stars in America. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, uh, would you come in and value a, a, a poem that was written by Mark Boland? So, of course, I went on. Then I did something else. And then Posh Porn on Channel 4 asked me to value a guitar that Oasis had signed. And then there was another program, um, a guy called Je- Jesse McClure. He was on uh, Storage Hunters. Yeah. He was quite one of the big characters of Brandon and Laurie, and he always yeah. used to have a big argument. He had the big side sideburns. Oh, I was going to ask you about him. Like, yeah, yeah, how did you come about him? How did you get introduced to him? Yeah. Um, funnily enough, a mutual friend knew him, and he, they brought him over because he was doing some of these comic cons. Do you get them over in Dublin where they – you can go and meet like people off TV or mm. films. I think you pay. You're aware of anyway. <laughs> Don't think so. Well, I mean, you might have yeah, people so. like signing things like maybe in well, what used to be H and V a few years ago. Like, well, not. I don't think so. I'm not really aware of that now. No. So this would be like it could be like somebody that was in Doctor Who, yeah. somebody that was in Red Dwarf, and somebody that was like in one of the robots in Star Wars or something think you know it's all sort of like science fiction film kind of thing and you could go to meet and have a picture of them that kind of thing very cool and yeah. he was over he was quite he's quite well known really because that program was global mm. um storage hunters and uh, he came to do one near where i lived and somebody brought him in to see me and uh, we just hit it off and he said um i'm having my own program commission called british treasures american gold so he was taking things were quite quintessentially British, like phone boxes, like a tank, you know, really bizarre yeah. British stuff for all family, all really British stuff, back to his parents' uh, antique mall um, near California. Yeah. And um, the programme obviously got commissioned, and I was on episode one with him. He came over and uh, bought some stuff off me. Um, and around that time, I don't know how it happened, but... Uh, a regional BBC station rang me up, and oh, I remember what it was now. Ringo Starr had a big auction. Oh, I remember that Ringo Starr. Off his original, yeah, his Ludwig Beatles drum kit, loads of stuff that he had over the years for wow. charity. And the a BBC radio station rang me up and said, "Would you talk about it?" And then because I, I, as soon as you start, you become on a system. Then oh, he talks about memorabilia. And then they were ringing me up, and it was like, oh, um, we want to talk about the anniversary of ABBA, or can you talk about Bananarama reforming? Can you talk about why people don't buy CDs anymore? And it was just people, it was like a couple of times a month the BBC kept ringing me up. And of course, you see, there's a lot of times when I couldn't really do it, to be honest with you. Mm. There's a lot of funny situations, uh, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But of course, you have to say yes, yes, okay. because if you say no, there's other people that um, contribute to the BBC music that are a lot more well-known than me and written loads of books and had their own TV shows and or been on the radio. And and they, they, they because they're a face, they get them to do it. So obviously for me to be asked, I just said, yes, yes. So, um, so then what happened was that um, I was... I decided that I wasn't going to start buying um, memorabilia at auctions. I was just going to deal with band members now that had stuff to sell and I'd sell it quietly under the radar to big collectors. So I kind of moved away from just buying to sell 
uh, and it was getting a bit time consuming. And then I realised that I had an actual um, gig contract for Oasis uh, in '94 um, for when they played in Stoke on Trent okay. at, at a bar called the Weed Chief. It was a big music venue. Mm-hmm. And on the day they got £100, actually. And on the day they played, um, it was actually the release for Supersonic, the debut mm-hmm. single. So it's quite an iconic gig, really. Mm-hmm. And I had the contract for this. So, And it was like 24 years the next day or something. And I just put it on Twitter and I tagged in the BBC, uh, BBC Radio Stoke. And they rang me up in the morning and said, could you come on and talk about it? And then they got me in again. And then they got me into like talk about like a what's on guide, what was going on. And I thought, this is weird. They kept getting me in talking about different things. And then the boss then turned around and said, we'd like, we're doing like a BBC New Voices. They said, we'd like you to, to do a, a two part one off show on anything you like, but we guess you do it on music, which I did. And I realized that all the contacts that I made over the years, I could get them in to, to interview them. So as the, as I was planning the show, and of course you don't get any training for this. Mm. I mean, I had to do like a little BBC Academy course, what sounded really cool. But actually, yeah. it was just like how to sit at the chair and what not to say, and just health and safety based stuff. It wasn't anything like, you know, really cool. Okay. Um, and then they said, do you know what? They said, we'd like you to do this show live, not pre-recorded, because mm. other people were offered the chance as well to do them. And I thought, okay. And then Alan... Alan McGee agreed to come up to the studio. Um, I got Sean Ryder to talk, um, Baz Fratelli from the Fratellis, Steve Craddock, Nigel from Dodgy. I got, don't forget, I only had a three part show, one hour Amazing. live show. Yeah. So I got quite a few contacts. And then the boss said, uh, the maximum show we can give you is three. So we'll give you three shows to do. So they called it the Britpop Revolution. And I absolutely, I loved it. It was really stressful. Mm. Um, because you see, mm-hmm. I used to go in a lot with with the girl that was uh, on in the afternoon, Louise Stones. And when you got somebody in front of you, it's like yourself now. We you see you kind of. If we were talking about, so you forget about people listening and the yeah, you know, and it's all live. It becomes more so natural. It, I, well, because they couldn't shut me up. You see, and we, <laughs> it was quite funny when I used to go on. But Brilliant. when you're Love on it. your own, you see this live on air and like the BBC microphone and the. And the news in the background and all the studios dark and you've got a producer there and you're thinking, Oh my god, this is all on me now. Yeah. You know, so the first one was <laughs> a bit all intimidating. Of a the second one Yeah, second one was but the third one I was kind of flying. Um so I did that, that was fun. And of course now um officially I'm kind of like a BBC contributor, so I get I get paid to, to go on and talk. So I I, I BBC Scotland rang me up and that was a rare one because they hadn't talked about, they hadn't asked me to talk about memorabilia for a long time, but it was mm. Kurt Cobain's um, little knitted cardigan that oh. he wore on the MTV Unplugged one, yeah. which was like his last kind of appearance. And he bought it from a charity shop and it sold for £250,000. Wow. I didn't hear about uh, that actually. Cool. About that. And I got paid quite nicely for like five, ten minutes. But the, the situation is, I'll tell you, and actually, I was going to Dublin, and this is so funny, you can't even believe this. Oh, wow, so I'm working us. with a band out there, I'm working with a band out there, actually, at the moment. And last year, what happened was, I was at Manchester Airport, and um, they said to me, we'd love you to talk about, I think it was BBC Kent, I think, we'd love you to talk about 
um, the Beatles' 50th anniversary for Abbey Road. So I said, yeah, that's no problem. I'm at the airport, but I'm going to Dublin. Is that fine? Yeah, yeah, we're ringing at like three o'clock. And that was fine. And then in the morning, I got another BBC station ring me up and said, oh, we'd like to ask you about 50th anniversary. I said, I did it yesterday. Oh, can you just talk about iconic album covers instead? And I said, yeah, no problem. And I, what, when do you want me? And it was the exact time that I was to, I had to fly back to, from Dublin Airport. But I couldn't say no, you see. I didn't want yeah. to say no. So um, what I did was I took the call live in um, in a disabled toilet. Oh, really? <laughs> That's yeah, quiet well, there, I'm sure. <laughs> well, apparently, the, like, the baby changing and the disabled ones, the doors are soundproofed. I had no idea. And I suppose, oh. like, the kids crying and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, I took a live call. So I'm talking to, like, the BBC from Dublin Airport in the toilet. The producer <laughs> found the funny side of it after I came off air. But, I mean, that's what I mean. You see, the lengths that you... Once you get asked, once you get on this system, you see, that yeah. they asked, and, uh, a couple of weeks ago, they asked me to talk about five past seven in the morning about the Brit Awards. Mm, okay. Um, in Wales. I mean, they're only, on, they're only on for like five, ten minutes. They pay, but it's a ridiculous hour usually. Yeah. And I do loads of research because you don't know what they're going to ask you. Mm. And half the time, they don't ask you what, what, what you think they're going to ask you. Yeah. But you see, I did it. So... But you see, you never know really where it gets you. But it looks good um, that, you know, that they ask you. And also while this was going on, before I did the show, I decided to do a little book. It was never meant to be anything like a proper big book. Mm. I just fancy doing one about um, about memorabilia and not like a kind of an antique prize guide, just something a bit quirky. So it's called buying into Britpop. So it's yeah. kind of the whole thing about this memorabilia is that you see, it's like if you went to see uh, if you went to Nebworth in 1996 to see Oasis, you know, you could get a bit nostalgic now. Think, oh, if I could get one of the original concert programs or mm. the poster, and that's mm. what happens. You see, people want to buy it, or yeah. it could be like um, the song that came out when a couple met, and you know, they want to get that album. Or do you, do you know what I mean? There's always like yeah. a story, and I think. It, it, it gives people a closeness to the band if they can buy something like, oh, this plectrum was used by an old or something. You know, people love this kind of stuff. So yeah. I thought you're kind of buying into the genre, you're buying into the memory, you're buying into collecting, you're buying into Britpop. So I thought that's what I call it. Mm-hmm. And it's just facts about little bands, um, uh, uh, you know, how they met. And this is a piece of memorabilia for them, like a rare record in May 200 or something. I don't put any prices and it was just like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I just did I did a small little self-published run of those. Yeah, I was going to ask for that and book still, actually as well. Um, yeah. So where could people get that book at the moment? It's on your website. I think it's like Britpop TV um, or dot TV. Is it? Uh, oh yeah, that's Britpop. my little, yeah. So we did a little press pack thing just to, so I can keep updating what appearances I did. Yeah, and it was mainly more for media really, but I put a link yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's on there. Yeah, but they've gone to some really bizarre places like. Israel and uh, you, you know like, uh, Korea and uh, oh, wow. you know, I've sold I've sold the, the country I've sold the less books is in, in the UK oh, really <laughs> it's always the really, way really like, isn't it it's interesting like yeah, yeah it's always kind of further afield so what country have you sold the yeah. most books in actually so far Pardon? what country have you actually sold the most books in so far I think, I think Asia 
Really? Asia? Wouldn't have guessed Asia. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, well, they, kind of, they really latched on to the, to the music out yeah. there. But yeah. it, was more, it was just more... Because I, I'd always would have loved to have been on the radio, and I, I, I never got believed that I... I never knew I'd get to present my own little BBC show. And I thought, really, I need to do a book. You know, yeah. I need to be like a sort of a broadcaster, kind of author, kind of create myself into from nothing into something that was kind of cool, really. So that was Absolutely. why I did it. It was a 100%. real struggle to do the book because I'm so busy yeah. and I had to get some help to do it. And it's more like a book zine. It's yeah. more like a sort of, a, you know, picture. it's a like coffee a table book, coffee kind of, yeah. table. Kind of. yeah. 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 It's yeah. not like, you know, it's not going to be a bestseller book, but yeah. it was just for me, it was real fun and it was mm. a bit of an a, a achievement to do it. And uh, it was just, you see, all this came out of love of music, not yeah. getting to be in a band yeah. and collecting memorabilia. And then I didn't know 10 years ago that it would end up presenting my own BBC show, doing a book contributing regularly on the BBC, Amazing. meeting band members that I never would believe some of the band members that I've actually been around their house and they're like, oh, can I get you a coffee? And, uh, oh, that, you know, yeah, Paul Weller played that guitar and gave it to me. And you're sitting there going, how am I in this? What? That's <laughs> unbelievable. This like, yeah, absolutely. It was really hard to start with because I was a bit kind of um, starstruck. Yeah. You know, but you can't just take that away and just speak to the people I, I knew something weird was starting to happen when I got um, an email from Noel Gallagher's PA they yeah. were doing, they did an exhibition called Chasing the Sun um, yeah. a few years back they did one in Shoreditch and then I think about a year later they moved it to Manchester and then I think they did one in Japan or somewhere I'm not quite sure where it was and all the band put in all like their guitars instruments and there was like nice photography from the original photographers and uh, Liam went, went to the one in Shoreditch and um, wow. because I'd been asked to, to I, I was asked to value everything for insurance purposes basically mm -hmm. and that's how I ended up meeting Liam and having cool. a few drinks with him was, yeah. that was uh, that was really cool because he's really great he's he's so good yeah. With, with his fans, so. Okay, amazing. Like, yeah, I didn't think he'd actually probably go along to one of the exhibitions himself, like, but that's pretty impressive that he did, particularly in shortage, because like that'd be pretty busy, you know, maybe to the one in Manchester. <laughs> but that's pretty cool. Yeah, I wanted to yeah, I just wanted to kind of ask you really quickly as well. Um, just kind of going back to um when you first started collecting memorabilia, like how did you you obviously were collecting 60s memorabilia first and then you moved on to the 90s. But like, how did you start? Like, what kind of like, you know, just, you know, dawned on you to, I mean, obviously you're a music lover. Um, but where did you start? Did you go to auctions? Did you start like looking in different secondhand stores or antique stores? Like, how did you actually kind of get into the game initially? Yeah. I think when I was younger, I used to like those old dinky cars and all the, <laughs> the little, little toys that used to be off Star Trek or Superman, you know, the, 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 yeah, the James yeah, Bond yeah. cars and all these things. And then I realised at a certain age I probably had to stop collecting them. <laughs> and then I, I really I saw a Carry On film poster once, and I thought I love the artwork, mm. so cheeky. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but they're so I cool. Have, yeah. And this is how collectors go really crazy on stuff. So I bought a Carry On film poster, and I thought oh, I have to get another one. And then you realise there was like thirty films, so then you've got to. You end up trying to collect them all. Yeah. And this is how crazy and off the wall it gets. Then there was like, don't forget the film was released in Mexico. So there's a Mexican version of a carry-on yeah. film poster. 
which is obviously quite rare. Mm. And then the artwork is different. And there's some kind of artwork that in some countries had to be censored. And it was it was kind of a... I just got blown away by collecting all those posters. So I thought, I've got too many. So I took them to an entertainment auction, sold them all. Mm. And then I spent nearly the same money back buying all loads of extra stuff. And they had this jumper that belonged to Britt Eklund, who was a Bond girl as well. Oh, okay. And the jumper was the jumper was designed by David Hockney, which is a very well-known designer. Right. And yeah, um, it came with the original Bonhams catalogue um, right. from the original sale of all the provenance, which is the most important thing. Yeah. Is the provenance? So you know, you know, the, the history of this item is what it is. You know. And um, nobody wanted it. I think I got it for about 20 quid. Wow. And I, I, I put it up for sale. It went on eBay for about a week later for about £250. I thought, I'll leave it for a week and I'll put it up for sale in case somebody knows what I paid for it. And so I paid like 250 quid for it. And I found, and really I probably should have stuck to doing this, I liked really quirky little items. I had the original architectural plans for John Lennon's home studio. Wow, um, that's really cool. But, but yeah, for where he records, like Imagine and stuff. Wow. But I like really quirky little things. And yeah. I probably should have stuck with that because that was quite fun. Yeah. Um, I opened a, a cafe bar when I was 21. Mm. And I always used to like the hard rock cafe, but I thought I'll make it like a British 60s kind of cafe. And that's how mm. it really started. Yeah. I had to buy stuff to put on the walls, you see. Okay. And then I just yeah. got the bug for collecting stuff. Yeah. And then obviously that I realised that a lot of the 60s memorabilia is really, really expensive now. You know, yeah. it's, you know, you pay like five grand for the Beatles autographs, you know. Okay. So and nobody was really specialising in 90s mm-hmm. and rip pop. So I kind of was lucky in a way that I sort of started. I'm, I'm probably responsible for why yeah. people are paying, like, what they're paying for some of this memorabilia. You know, a guitar that Noel Gallagher's used now, you can pay, like, 20, 30 grand for one, you know. Yeah, absolutely. The, the is a, the price, but it's all to do with the provenance. So that's why on my Instagram it looks quite funky because, you see, mm. it's not like I'm selling a guitar or I'm selling something that belonged to somebody. People can see that, well... I know that person, and they will do me a letter anyway. But mm. the most important thing is is the provenance that you know the person said that this was theirs. They did use it, and yeah. I can prove everything. And a lot of people like to see on videos of them using it, and uh, you know anything that's been used at a historic gig or you know something really cool. Yeah, achieves. I've got a drum kit that Ocean mm-hmm. Colour Scene used. Um, Oscar Harrison used it on 100 Miles High and uh, on the lot, the top of the pops. And that's what people want because they yeah. can go, oh, yeah. So they can have it's it in the house cool. and say, oh, yeah, this was, you know, because yeah. a lot of people, you know, I think it's a bit underrated music memorabilia. I think it would make a really great, like, uh, show because mm. they do all these antique things, programs, don't they? And all this Very money true. is like art and, you know, pottery and you know yeah jewelry really and stuff but actually music memorabilia goes for absolute fortune if it's the right thing yeah you know with the right history mm-hmm. so um but of course you see what happened was i started selling memorabilia and then the the radio show thing came along and then the book came along yes yeah. and then 
what happened the then was I then found that I was moving into the next chapter. Yeah. Which was music. That's that's pretty amazing. And just going back as well, like to Liam Gallagher, like tell us any any sort of juicy stories about him. Like how is he as a person after bumping into him in Shoreditch? Like and he went for a few beers. How how was he really? <laughs> tell the truth. Well, I, well, I was with Paul Gallagher, which what I met his brother, brother before, yeah. and I was with um, Brian Cannon, the original art designer. Um, I can't remember who else I was with at the time, and they mm. said we're going to go and look for Liam now. So I went. Oh, okay. Um, I'll see you guys later. And they're like, "Oh no, come with us." Oh, nice so <laughs> it was. So what? What happened was the exhibition in Shoreditch. There was a pub next door, and I was a bit too early, so I thought, "Well, I'll go in and have a have a have a pint." Mm. And uh, oh, I remember now. So Bonehead was there, and um, Brian Cannon and uh, Paul Gallagher were there, which I, I obviously I'd met and knew all three of them, but we hadn't arranged to meet there. And they were very kind, you know, they, they had a drink with me and um, they said, we're off to see Liam now. So I said, you know, okay, cool. And I'll come along. And it was so bizarre because it's like, we were looking in these bars and I'm looking in this bar thinking, Where, am I really looking for Liam Gallagher? <laughs> and then I said, I think he's in there. So everybody walked in because he doesn't know me. Yeah. But they knew everyone I was with, and he just stood up, and he was like quite tall. He was, ah, you know, and all this. And came <laughs> over, and he bought me, I, he bought me three porn star martinis. I never forget. Yeah. I had a couple of photos of him. Was that your choice or his choice? Exactly. His girlfriend, Devin. Adam. Was that your choice or his choice? The porn porn star well, martinis. I just, <laughs> I, I just thought, well, well, it could only be that, couldn't it, Will Liam? Wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I sat with his girlfriend, and uh, it was just a really surreal kind of night, really. Mm. And then when we went into the exhibition, he just went straight up to the DJ decks, actually. And uh, I just, I was on a bit of a high, so I was just floating around, I think, everywhere. Um, so that was great, because he was everything that you'd want him to be. If it's somebody that you really, you know, you, you want to meet, he, it wasn't a disappointment. Okay. There's some other band members that I've met haven't been so great but he was brilliant he's really good with his fans he's spent a lot of time with them okay and i think mm. that was what i think he really missed that when oasis split i think yeah the admiration from his fans i think that's what's really got him back up there as well there's just okay. a lot of love for him you know and he's, not, he's great with his fans you know that's it's not something that's portrayed in the media at all like how good he is with his fans he's obviously he's portrayed as like you know the bad boy and like you know given like the, the finger all the time that kind of thing so you wouldn't really kind of think that he would be that good but like yeah it's good to hear to know that um he is actually a decent, a decent guy underneath it all um yeah yeah he's completely completely opposite to what i i, I thought he'd be you know yeah, and you're in a band yourself at the moment as well, aren't you? You see, you got into music in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I should be. Well, I did some backing vocals for a band, but whether they liked it or not, I just jumped in right. on the recording. No, no, what, what happened was, um, so um, uh, a guy called Leon Harrison, he sent me a Facebook request, and his dad's Oscar, okay. the drummer for Ocean Colour Scene. Okay. And I'd recognised Leon I recognised Leon straight away because he plays percussions for Ocean Colour Scene when they do the big tours, like, you know. And uh, so I got talking to him and he said, I'm in this new band. Um, we're looking for a manager. Would you manage us? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't manage bands. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think what it was in hindsight that I think because I've 
been lucky to go to lots of different things, mm-hmm. maybe they see it like a face for the band to go and say, oh, by the way, listen to this band that I'm looking after. Mm. Because I couldn't really fathom what it was. Anyway, so I said, yeah, okay, cool. Let, let's try it. Let's give it a go. And um, after four and a half months, Anne McGee signed them to Creation 23. Wow. And that was some achievement. And actually... Um, what happened was uh, we played at the Sugar Club uh, last May in Dublin, twenty uh, eighth, mm. I think it was. Yeah, uh, we did. I, think uh, I hosted. Um, I hosted an audience um, with Alan McGee that mm. evening, and um, my band played. Um, well, like a kind of a support, really. They played for the evening, yeah. and it cost them. Like, it cost them eight hundred quid. Because right. okay. they had to fly and drive out there. But this is the commitment that bands are making, you know, and they weren't, it's not like they're going to get paid, you know, it's just like you get out there, it's exposure, it's good for you, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Alan wasn't really that struck on them to start with. It took them a few times, um, but we started, like, selling out. We did The Cameron Club in Liverpool was a really big one for us. Mm-hmm. And then we did um, a festival called MozFest in Sheffield and it was the farm we're headlining with space Jesus Jones Twisted Wheel that have been supporting Liam at the moment and uh, little old us anyway um, apparently the farm being from Liverpool they wanted to watch this I don't know I'm not really good football some cup thing or something so they didn't (laughs) want to do the headline spot and none of the other bands would step up so we headlined in front of three and a half thousand people and then people then started like watching us and they're great Mm. lads they've They've got great songs, you know, they're yeah. brewing on stage mm-hmm. and they have got a lot of fans. And um, then Alan was like, I've got this band called The Clockworks, which originally from Galway right, and uh, yeah. they're signed to creation. They're great lads and uh, they live in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, um, I, need, I need a band. Could you support us at Night Hill Arts Club? So I'm like, yeah, okay. And then he's like, hmm, yeah, I'll, yeah, we'll put a single out. I'll put a single out for him. So you can imagine. So I've now never really managed a band which people won't probably know if they don't know me. Mm-hmm. And because they got signed quite quick, and because they're a great band anyway, and they got great songs, and they they were doing really well. You can imagine my inbox then, can't you, on Instagram? Oh, we're in a band. Would you yeah. listen to this? Would you listen to that? And of course, that kind of happened mm. quite quickly. So I'm. I now started a, a kind of band artist management company, and it is actually led on to now me starting my own label. Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's amazing. So this has all come. Yeah, I mean, you can't some journey. You know, it. Yeah, it yeah. is. I still can't kind of understand it. It's still, and it, and, and it's not like I'm making a load of a, a load of money either. Because mm. when you've got a band, you know, you, you have to go and travel to see them, don't you? Mm-hmm. You've got to stay there, haven't you? You've got to get the train, you've got to go out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I look at that down the line and it's more the passion of music. And being backstage with a, a band that you manage playing to three, 4,000 people and seeing everyone go wild. And then, you know, and the bands that we get, we're going to get to support this year, it's just an incredible feeling, you know, and yeah. to help a band as well that have been trying for a few years and to give them a massive leg up it just gives you so much satisfaction as well 100 percent. so 
And yeah, I suppose like, I mean, just kind of going on onto like, you know, artists now and musicians and things like that. Like, what would you kind of give people a, you know, what advice would you give them right now? People that are starting out and also people that are seasoned, but also as well with the current kind of lockdown with, you know, the coronavirus going around and like tours being canceled, shows being canceled, open mic nights even being canceled. Like what advice would you suppose give to musicians yeah, to kind of try and work on instead of, you know, obviously, you know, the, the all their gigs being canceled? Yeah, because I, I see uh, yesterday the Sugar Club put up on Instagram that they're, they're going to close. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. they've closed. Um, yeah, and uh, Liam's had to postpone some shows. Um, the Happy Mondays where's have. Where's he touring currently, actually? Um, Sorry to interrupt. So where's Liam touring currently, actually, at the moment? Where is he on tour right now? Liam? Yeah. Um, he I, he had to cancel Abu Dhabi. Okay. Um, I heat yeah. park in June. Hopefully, it's all going going ahead. Um, but there's a lot of things like Soccer AM on TV tomorrow. They're not. That's not going ahead. Okay. And that's a massive platform for young bands. So, yeah. um, so. Advice for young bands. Yeah, well, I suppose, like, I mean, given yeah. even like a monetary advice, like, what should they focus on? Now, the fact that they can't really kind of go out there and gig and they can't tour, and I suppose that that's where they would really see like their exposure and bread and butter kind of coming from. Yeah. So now that they're kind of like literally well, on lockdown, what should they be focusing on? I don't think it's much different apart from they can't gig. I yeah. think having a strong presence on social media always, yeah, is really really important. Mm -hmm. and you know, I think there's a bit of a downfall with, I've seen some young bands that have been signed to, you know, kind of fairly decent labels. And then they think that the job's done. And unfortunately, yeah. it's far from done. That's where it starts. And yeah. I've seen some bands dropped because they thought that was it. And unfortunately, that isn't it. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you have to really give it everything. You know, mm -hmm. it's I, I know people say, oh, you know, they, they they play to three people in a pub, but I mean, everyone's done that. We know yeah. that. You all have to do that. But yeah. I, I think it's really getting a presence out, um, you know, and, 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 and trying to work Spotify yeah. correctly. Mm -hmm. You can't just put a track up. You know, Spotify gets like forty thousand tracks a day. You can't just stick a track up mm -hmm. and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have to really work at. At, at just using all the platforms correctly and um, engaging with your fans and uh, making sure that they know that you're going to be dropping a track even even if it's not being properly released even if you're going to drop a track on Spotify yourself you can just say look guys you know from tomorrow you know this track's going up um, and just you just really have to just keep putting stuff up on social media yeah. I see it as such a massive a massive thing and getting good supports as well and finding mm -hmm. a band that is probably at your level mm -hmm. from a different county or a different area and, and just do like uh, different sort of supports yeah you know supporting each other uh, uh, doing like a flip support you know it would be like me sending I've got a young band at the moment they're only 18 you see it would be like me finding a band a similar age over in Dublin, I mean, you've got lots of great bands. It's like Fruits, uh, Odd Morris. They've just played on Six Music um, a few weeks ago. Um, 
la-di-da bands, you know, but you've got a lot of young bands coming through and whether mm. to do like a, if I could find one of the bands at a similar age to my band is mm. to do like a flip support so you keep, you know, getting new fans all the time. That's good advice. Yeah, and I mean, I'm always saying that. But there's a lot of great bands coming out, isn't there? Murder Capital, you've got, you've got, you know, you've got a lot of, I've yeah. seen Hayla, but that's, they've mm. tried to keep that quiet about the, the connection, haven't they? I know. To, to well, it's it's kind of like public knowledge now. I think at this stage, you know. So I think so. When you get a load of fifty-year-old men back outside with you two albums wanting to be signed, you know, <laughs> exactly. There, and well, yeah. And I think but, though as well, like he kind of like dissed his dad a little bit, like you know, in um in an interview, like oh, like oh yeah, well you know whatever about him. It's it's his. He had his time. It's kind of my time now. Something along those lines, but a little bit kind of a diss. And was like, oh, when I read that, I was kind of going, oh god, he kind of seems like so young. And obviously he is only twenty-one. But like yeah, they're really good, and it's like really impressive what they're doing. They're getting they're getting places now. Does but, huh? Yeah. There's, there's a great scene out there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I went really there is. a few months ago with uh, Dermot Lambert. From I did an interview on RTE for Garage Band, Garage oh, Land over there. Yes, I know. I went yeah. to the sound sound house upstairs. Yeah, no. And you got the social, haven't you? And Wheelands as well. You've okay. got, and there's a really great sound, and a, I think that the punk sound seems to be doing really well over there at the moment, doesn't mm. it? They seem to like a, a lot that kind of. Uh, kind of kind of sound from yeah um, like fontaine's dc like they're doing really really Fontaine, well yeah that was, yeah 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 they who was I was, gonna, they were just who I was going to mention um mm. they're doing really and you've got the yeah, king kong them. king is it the king, king kong company is it no yeah is a king yeah. kong company I went, okay. I, went, I went to see the happy mondays i went with alan actually mm. uh to see him at waterford oh, it was right. last september and they they were on um support um, but there's a, there's a real great sound and there's a real good um, real load of good music coming out. Yeah, um, I mean that's the one thing about Ireland. Like, there's never been a shortage of bands or music or anything like that. But unfortunately, there's kind of you know just like the I suppose lack. There's a sh shortage in kind of like knowledge or like direction or how to steer it because you know that's it. They kind of like think that if they get signed, that's it. That's their kind of main ambition. But I couldn't agree more with what you were saying about like, you know, being on social media, being present and engaging with the fans all the time, because a lot of people kind of post and ghost thinking like that, oh, they'll get their likes, they'll get shares, without having to actually kind of, you know, engage with their fans. But I mean, it's very important to engage with the fans and, um, and just kind of keep it consistent as well. And even doing like lives as well, like weekly lives on Facebook or Instagram are huge too. And I mean, of course, like most artists want to just go to like, you know, cabin in the woods and just, you know, be creative and that's it. Not have to be online, but it's, you know, online is where your fans are. It's where you're going to be discovered. It's where you're going to generate your numbers, your figures, monetize everything. Like, so yeah, it's usually important to, um, to be online. I can keep saying that and reiterating that, like to anti musicians. So yeah, yeah. The first so the Mark was driver the band. I don't know if I mentioned their name, but they're the first band that that I, that I got signed to Creation Twenty Three. Okay. And they that they they worked really hard on social media mm. for two months because it was like a 12, 13 week run up for a single release. Yeah, and it sold out four days before release wow. and we went it was released on the friday and um i looked at the vinyl charts the vinyl single charts i thought i don't know is it early yet mm. and i'd forgotten actually and the lead singer rang me up and said i'm sitting in a well he rang me up and he went 
we're number two in the UK vinyl charts. Wow. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. He said, I was sitting at a pub, I forgot all about it, and said the drummers just rang me up. And wow. I looked, and in the official UK vinyl single charts, we we uh, we're under Bastille. Yeah, we went in at, straight in at number two, and they worked really really hard. Yeah. And we got uh, six plays on Radio X, and then Chris yeah. Moles played them, and yeah. uh, he said it's a really really good song. And it was just through hard work that the most hard working bands. I mean, they drive up and down. They play all over the place, and now, like you know. In June, we're supporting the Lightning Seeds. We're good. In August, we're meant to be supporting. We've been offered to support Primal Scream and Cast. Mm. Um, and it's pure dedication. And these aren't young lads. They're like seven of them, and they range from 30 to like mid-40s. The so seven mm. of them, they're a real mixed age. Yeah. Uh, but they've worked really, really hard on social media and getting out there and playing. Really dedication on rehearsing two, three times a week. The songwriting, and uh, and it's not about what money you've got. It's it's not about having lots of money in the bank. It's just really, you know, just pure dedication. Um, They've worked really hard. You have to work hard. It's like to have a hit song, but I mean, you know, how do you make it a hit song? It's not just going to be a hit song, is it? Just sitting there, you know. So, yeah. um, so now I'm now starting to work with a few other new bands, but it's uh, it's tough, yeah. But you see, the whole point of doing the vinyl is because you can chart, you see. Yeah. You can chart. I mean, you can have, what, a million streams on Spotify and lucky to make £5,000 or something, isn't it? You know. Mm-hmm. But so, it gives you a presence, doesn't it? It does. So you'd reckon, like, you know, vinyl for monetization for, and, for, and for charting as well, like, because obviously, yeah, I mean, people buy vinyl these days as opposed to anything else, you know. So that's what you would recommend. I just think it's cool, isn't it, to get, cool. get, 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 yeah, because I mean, that's what yeah. I would recommend to bands as well that I work with and things like that was like, you know, get your stuff in vinyl, but I mean, it's obviously very hard to press as well, like, because it's expensive and everything, you know, but I mean, you know, if it's, you know, it's worth it in the end for sure, like, even if you just have it on your website for sale, you can press to, to order, um, but yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and I suppose, like, with all the different people that you've met, like Liam Gallagher, Noel Gallagher, Sean Ryder, Andy Bell from Ride, everything else, like, what, is there any story you can relate to us that is just really interesting or a crazy story that stands out in your mind from all the amazing people uh, you've met? Um, <laughs> that you're allowed to tell? Well, well Liam was, had more time than Noel, should we say. Okay. There was a funny kind of story, actually. It was one of those situations where you kind of shoot yourself afterwards because every I was uh, Absolute Radio. They did um, Noel did a secret gig in London, oh. and uh, only hundred people could go. But his PA put me on the guest list, and he was hanging around out the back uh, load when they all came in, you know, to load up, and he turned up. And I thought, I'm going to be cool. I'm not going to ask him for a photo, but if yeah. I see his PA, I'll ask. Anyway, because what happens, he comes up to me and I'm trying to, you know, get my camera out. <laughs> and uh, he walks past me. And then his PA goes, Rob, uh, do you want me to sort out a picture with you and Noel? I'm oh. like, no, he looks stressed. Don't worry about it. Because I thought, oh, I'll probably hang out with them later. So I, he came past again and I just got a quick shot with him. Anyway, I never saw him afterwards, so I'm really sorry I didn't do it. Mm. Anyway, 
about a few weeks later, I was um, my phone went absolutely worse than normal. It was going mayhem. My phone. Yeah. Anyway, apparently, I was, <laughs> they were interviewing Noel Gallagher a few weeks later on Alan Carr's Chatty Man, and oh, it's yeah. on YouTube. And I don't have my beard then. <laughs> and apparently, what how this goes is he's just done his second album. Uh, second solo album and he said uh, Alan Carr goes like why are you so miserable uh, on your photos and he goes oh I don't like to smile and he went look at you with your fans and there was a big screen behind them and there's this girl quite attractive and he's like half smiling and then like the next shot was me with no way old Gallagher. <laughs> yeah wow oh <laughs> my god <laughs> it was a terrible thing but oh, because wow. Alan Carr kept making a joke out of it <laughs> and, uh, so they kept panning on my picture about three times. That's crazy. And, uh, well, great exposure for you. Did he tell you? Did he say who you are? <laughs> Just like a random person. Oh, I could. Uh, yeah, actually, I can tell you a funny story, um, mm. which connects to that. Actually, okay. so um, I'd been down to uh, London um, because Alan White, who was in Oasis, he wanted to sell some of his old drums. Mm. Okay, and I went down to help him and. Uh, he opened a little box up and there was some tambourines in there and he said oh you can have one i said oh are those lambs and he went yeah i said why didn't why are they all in this box and he said well what used to happen was he said they'd all come in the roadies with noel's guitars and for the other you know everybody else and everything and liam would be like oh you know where are my tambourines kind of thing and obviously i'm trying to i can't use the language like yeah and, uh, I can imagine. Like, oh, so, so they bought so they got a, used to get they got him a like a proper case and they'd buy 50 tambourines in one go for him Jeez. and they used to put them in there and uh, that's what that was about so i got one that he'd used and mm. um i was in london so a few drinks later in a bar in Soho, I'm playing to this tambourine. <laughs> no way. Oh my God, was, it was going around the bar because I told brilliant. everyone they're all right. <laughs> Fun. That's so, um, I had to make a bit of a dash for the last train because I live a couple of hours outside London and it's like, mm. you know, when you've just got to get on that train. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just me, but usually I'm in the worst coach, the worst seat, the worst everything. Mm. So I just get on whatever door whatever coach so i'm on the train yeah and then i work out where i am because I, I just want to be on it so i i get on and obviously i walked on first class and uh, the tambourine's in this bag and as i walked on, i knocked this guy's leg and uh, it made a noise and um smart guy black guy smart guy a uh, nice suit but quite the thespian kind of voice. Oh, is that, you know, is that a tambourine? What's that? You know, yeah. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, yeah, this used to be, this used to be Liam's. He went, oh, I met uh, Noel and Liam. He said, uh, would you like to sit down? And I'm like, well, I haven't meant what to be in first class, but I thought I'll sit, because I had a few beers before, I'll sit there anyway. Because uh, <laughs> on first class, we hadn't even left Euston, and they're coming around with all the booze trolley, aren't they? Yeah. And he said, uh, I said, he didn't have a beer. He said, um, what would you like? I said, well, I'll have a beer. Or have, have whatever you'd like. Anyway, the guy come to check the tickets, and I thought, I'll have to go now. Mm. And he said, uh, he's with me. <laughs> and the bloke walked off. 
So I don't know wow. whether he bought the whole coat, the seats or something. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sitting there with this guy, no idea who he is. I'm talking a load of nonsense as usual all the way. And he said, um, yes, they came to a James Bond premiere. He said, because I was in uh, two James Bond films. And I'm like, all oh, right, okay. And I just thought he meant as an extra or something. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so uh, he's telling me about this and he's telling me about that. And um, he asked for my Twitter thing because I wasn't so much on Instagram then. Mm. He asked me for my Twitter stuff and um, so I'm getting off at Manchester. So, okay. Anyway, the next morning, my phone went and uh, it said that uh, Colin Salmon is now following you. And I thought, who the hell's this? And I thought, oh, it looks like mm. that guy from last night. So I thought, God, he's an actor. And I Googled him, and he's like the most, like, what do you call it, prolific black British actor, and he's been no in way. The Avengers, no. two James Bond films, <laughs> uh, Fast and Furious. Wow, Furious. Colin Salmon. He started off on Band of Gold on some TV show, and he's been on nearly every massive film oh you can ever gosh. think about. That's crazy. So, um, so, so, of course, when that went on with me with Noel, he messaged me and he said, I've just seen you on, <laughs> on, on the, and oh it was God. so funny. But there was a, yes. there was a program he was doing at the time. Um, and uh, he said, Oh, when I met you, my, I, I was, at, uh, you know, doing a, uh, uh, this new program and my name was Rob in the show. And he said, he's always stayed in touch, but it's, it's so mad, isn't it? How you can just meet out of nothing. You can meet that's People. absolutely bizarre. It's like, you know, kind of, it's like faith happened to be, you just like banged the uh, tambourine off his yeah. knee. He was like, sit down, no idea who you're talking to. That's absolutely, it's an amazing story. I love stories like that. It's absolutely bizarre. It's like, yeah. I've, I've, like I've probably got a few name. more, but I'd have to edit them slightly. But so yes, <laughs> there is some interesting stories. I'd love yeah. to hear sometime. <laughs> had, well, had there was a good one when the Happy Mondays had a fight backstage, but I'll probably oh. better leave that one off. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I don't know. It's too juicy. <laughs> oh, are you sure? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll definitely have you back, and you can tell me that story in the next one, so that sounds, like, pretty interesting. You can kind of, like, edit down the clean version in your mind before you come on first. Yeah, there's um, probably, another, probably another, another book there. Yeah, I mean, I'd say so, 100% with the sounds of it. Like, you should definitely kind of start, like, you know, putting them all together and... Uh, Maybe thinking about like putting him into a book at some stage for sure. Yeah, a picture book and then like you can have all the stories. I was going to ask you as well, actually, um, you have on your website all of the, um, I think it's like handwritten uh, lyrics to some of the Oasis songs as well. Are they like original? And if they're original, like how much do they go for? Yeah, so what, what happened there was that um, they would have been written out Liam was really well known for kind of forgetting his words, you know. So okay. Noel would write them out for Liam to to remember, or mm. they'd need to use them in a the recording session or just in okay. a practice. Right. And most of the time they get screwed up, you see, mm. and thrown in the bin. But the roadies and whoever had the foresight to take them out of the bin or to take the moment okay. to keep them, you yeah, see. Yeah, right. Because you can see they're all crumpled up. Yeah, yeah, mm. but I think they look better like that. But these aren't mm -hmm. like you call the working manuscripts where Noel's sitting in the kitchen thinking, right, I'm going to write Wonderwall now. Yeah, that's you know what, what I was wondering. Like, are they these, kinda... these, these are like where he's had to write them out. Gotcha. Because you know, he did have an original notebook, 
with his mm. with the first songs on when he was roadie for his spiral carpets. He, mm. he wrote more or less the, the the first album, you know, yeah. and he had a notebook. But they got kicked out of this hotel in Belgium, I think it was, and um, they weren't allowed to go back in and get it. And that sold yes. in the nineties for five thousand pounds, and you right. can pay that just for one song probably now. Yeah, but people like the hard rock cats will buy these. Yeah, but I mean, I, you know. Somebody said to me, oh, I, you know, I, that's not Noel's writing. You see, the thing is, because of the contacts that I've built up, in a heartbeat, I got two, three people that are close to Noel, and they all said, yeah, that's his writing. So, you know, yeah. what you do find is that when you have access to good stuff, mm -hmm. or you can get good stuff, and if you won't sell it to that person for some reason, then they get the hump and then they start to try to cause you like issues that this stuff isn't right that he's got or okay. this stuff the other yeah so it's not a nice kind of it, it you know the thing is because i sell stuff for that members and people know that i know them and mm -hmm. they know i've got great stuff they can't really say anything you know but there yeah. will always be that thing at an auction house in the 90s a lot of stuff went through that wasn't really right because people weren't checking it and to be honest with you people weren't paying five six seven thousand pounds for Beatles autographs and you know what I mean yeah I mean this yeah. stuff can go for a lot of money but I mean through a love of music and collecting and just not saying no I think is the thing is to, to say yeah I mean the when I came up with the idea for Alan to do the, the, the questions and answers tour, um, you know, I was scared to death. I had to do, we were asked to do one uh, for Starshape Festivals at the O2 in Islington. There was five there was about 500 people there. I had no idea there was that many people. Phil Smith, the original Oasis and High Flying Birds tour DJ did a set there. Uh, I did the Q&A with Alan and there was an Oasis tribute band on and there was... I was backstage and I said, how many tickets have you sold? So there's going to be 500 people there. I mean, well, it was nerve-wracking, you know. But yeah. I said I'd do it because I wanted to push myself. Well, that's another thing I'm always kind of saying as well is like getting out of your comfort zone and stretching yourself, just pushing yourself because, I mean, it does reap benefits and reap rewards for sure. So, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, look where you are now. I mean, just for the love of music, it's, it's crazy. It's amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me today. When are you back in Dublin next? Um, well, there's a band I'm working with, but I can't really say Ooh, the name yet. Okay. Unfortunately, but they are signing to a decent label in the UK. Okay. Um, so, but I think they got a single out this June. Ah, All okay. being well. But dates do change as the weeks go on. Yeah. But you could have me on to talk about them, I'm sure. But, yeah. Uh, I could tell you later, though. <laughs> okay, interesting, do. <laughs> I'll be excited to hear them. Are they booked for festivals as well this year? In Ireland? Well, the thing about the thing, about, uh, actually, it's funny you should say that because mm. I think you brought this up about with the virus and everything. Yeah. So, really, by January, most of the big festivals, you know, the, the slots have been taken. Yeah. Then you've got March, you've got sort of like March time to get on the secondary, the smaller ones. Mm -hmm. but you see, the interesting thing about this is where a lot of big bands and artists have been cancelled it's okay rescheduling them but can those artists and bands still do them yeah. and i think if you're quick and you're ready you can jump and pump something Ooh, very good and that's what i think if one of my new little bands is that we could use i always try to get a positive thing out of saying that's really negative and mm. i think 
that's a good little thing for bands that we can probably try and jump on some uh that's you know, an excellent fest. idea. Absolutely. It's really, really good. I like it. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, there's always a positive that comes out of a negative anyway, you know what I mean? And that's one really good thing to do. Because, yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, all the big bands probably be on tour. They're scheduled to play other places. So, yeah, you know, get in there while, while you can. 100%. Well, yeah. best of luck with your new band. Can't wait to hear who they are and when they're playing and everything else. And definitely hit me up when you're back in Dublin. Uh, yeah, and if I'm over in the UK, which I'm supposed to go over the end of March, but I don't know now what's going to be happening. But uh, I'll definitely have to uh, give you a shout. You're in Liverpool, mainly, or Manchester. Well, um, I've got a, a, a new band. They're 18. They're called Jupiter's Beard. Uh -huh. And um, we just had them in the studio with a producer called Alan Smythe. And he's worked... He's produced the Arctic Monkeys, um, Reverend and the Makers, who were oh. actually in Dublin a few weeks ago, okay. and Pulp. Mm. And um, their, their single will be out in a few weeks. So oh, brilliant. Uh, let's see if we can get them over to Dublin and do Absolutely. a flip support with a, with a young band out there. Oh, fantastic. Exciting. Well, tell me all, and I'll be posting on social media, and I'll share it and everything as well, as to kind of get it out there, like in, a, in around Dublin town as well. And uh, yeah, so cool. We'll see you over this side of the pond then soon. <laughs> and thanks so much for uh, coming on and uh, chatting with me anyway today. And uh, yeah, and where, where can people reach you then? Where can they get in touch? Um, your website and that. It's um, Britpop TV or dot TV. Is that right? Well, Instagram people normally get me okay. uh, at Rob Fidderman or yeah, at uh, Rob at RF slash music dot co dot UK. But you can find me pretty much online. Perfect. Somewhere. Cool. Well, you can Some... all check. They can all check you out there, and I'm sure you're probably going to get like loads of uh, DMs and everything from people over in Dublin <laughs> wanting to I uh, know yeah. more and you know even like support actually probably too. Do you have um, people like that are going to support when you're doing your gig over here? Have you looked into that yet, or that's something you're you'll look at when the time comes? Yeah, something. That's something because um, I think it'd be really great to get out there, and yeah. uh, I think the flip ports are really good. Yeah. To, to get a band that's to you growing at the same time and just uh, and get to share the fans really as well isn't it you know 100%. a lot of bands do work together yeah no it is I mean yeah 100% I would totally agree with that but um, yeah so let me know when you should do like a tour of Ireland you should do Cork as well <laughs> and get it out there yeah. so yeah cool listen thanks so much and have a great rest of your weekend you. and we will chat to you soon and thank you take care thank you Cool.